Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. It's great to, to be here today. Um, for the last couple of weeks, I've been on vacation. And uh, with that, um, just brings a, an excitement to come back, to come back home. Uh, be with family, but also to be um, back here with you. I, I love being a part of the fellowship here at Wildwood, and to worship together with you is a great joy. And so I uh, just praise God that, that I'm able to be here today, and we're able to um, look into God's Word together. But you know, one of the things that I did while I was on vacation was I went fishing. And uh, uh, those of you who uh, have just known me in the last few years, you might think that I go fishing a lot. Those of you who have known me for any period of time know that fishing is a very new thing and that I'm a very terrible fisherman. But um, I, I do enjoy going fishing because it brings together a lot of things that I like. Um, you get to be outside in beautiful places. I, I, love, uh, I love, you know, being outside and, and, and the water. Everything's always prettier around the water. You get to be outside in beautiful places when you fish. Um, you also get to be with friends. I love, uh, I've never been fishing by myself. Um, and so it's a social event for me, and I, I love the opportunity to be together with friends. Um, I also uh, love stuff, and, and fishing has a lot of stuff. Um, you know, there, there are whole stores, Bass Pro Shop is an entire store dedicated, big, huge store dedicated to the stuff that it takes when you fish. And when you go fishing, you gather this kind of stuff. And, and you know, I've got some, some examples, you know, you've got you to have your poles, you know, you, you, uh, you take those and, and uh, you grab a, a tackle sack, uh, and in that sack you got a lot of gear. Um, you know, you got some, some gloves that are fish handling gloves. Um, I hear these are helpful if you catch something. Um, you've also got a bunch of lures. You know, you got you to throw different kinds of lures in the water. You know, sometimes some they look kind of like that and um, rattle around a little bit, and some of them, you know, have little pom-poms on it. I'm sure there's a technical title. Any real fisherman is rolling their eyes right now. There's also uh, some pink worms. Uh, some of those are, or maybe if you're trying to catch a shark or something really large, you could throw this monster out in the water. Um, but, you know, all of this stuff are things that you take when you go fishing. Um, and, you know, it was, it was interesting. I, I packed it all up several days in advance, all of my, my gear that I had for fishing, and I, I packed it away, and I, we got there, and in and, and the morning that we're going to go out fishing for the first time, I'm organizing all of my gear. You know, I'm getting it all ready to go on the boat. I'm actually one of the last people down to the dock to get on the boat to go. I'm, I'm almost missing the fishing trip because I'm organizing my stuff, um, but I'm enjoying it because I like the stuff, and so I, I spent all that time, but you know, I was thinking about that as I was walking down to the dock, and, and how absurd it would be to have all of that gear and to be in that proximity to the lake and not to actually fish. How absurd that would be to just spend all day organizing the stuff and never actually fishing. You know, I, I bring that up today and I, I walk us through that story because I think that there's a parallel for us to grasp about the Christian life. See, God has blessed us with a lot of stuff. And by stuff, I mean the tackle of gear that he has equipped us with for the Christian life. He's equipped us with knowledge of himself. He's equipped us with his Holy Spirit. He's equipped us with all these spiritual blessings, the book of Ephesians says, all these spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. God has equipped us with all those things. As, as a church, God has equipped us with a facility, 
Uh, he's getting ready to equip us with additional facility as we're building on a children's building. Um, he's equipped us with programs that we have within our churches that we're involved in, and small groups, and adult fellowship groups, and children's ministry, and all these things. God has equipped us with all kinds of gear. But you know what? How absurd it would be if we spent all of our time organizing the stuff and we forgot to ever fish. We forgot to ever use the stuff that God equipped us with for the purpose that He has given it to us so that we might have an impact, an influence on others around us for Christ. How absurd it would be if we spent all of our time looking at it and never using it, never employing it, never casting it into the waters around us. That would be absurd. And yet, that's the temptation that all of us face. All of us face the temptation to focus on the stuff and to forget the fish. You know, over the next six weeks, we're going to be pressing pause on our series on Philippians, and we're going to be looking at a series called Don't Forget to Fish from 2 Corinthians chapter 2 through chapter 5. In those verses, uh, the Apostle Paul encourages all who read it to remember the majesty of pouring out our lives in service to others, to, to remember the, the, the hope and the joy it is to be a fisher of men, as Christ put it, to share God's love and grace with others around them. See, it's possible for us to so focus on all of the stuff of life, all of the stuff even of ministry, all the stuff of theological truth that we've ever heard, it's so possible for us to focus on that and forget the fish. My hope is and prayer is that at the end of this six weeks that we won't forget the fish, that we'll employ the things that God has blessed us with in ministry and service to others. And we're going to begin that this week by looking at, don't forget the fish, part one from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 through 16. If you've got a Bible, take it out and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 to 16. Uh, we're just going to look at those few verses today, and, and as we look at those few verses, we're going to see really just two things that remind us to not forget the fish. They give us an encouragement to invest our lives in influencing others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 to 16. Verses read this way. It says, Now when I went to Troas, this is Paul the Apostle speaking, Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened the door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. In those verses, we're going to see two things today that remind us to not forget the fish. Uh, the first one is this. First thing we need to see is that we can find victory in captivity. We can find victory in captivity. And we're going to see this from verses 12 to 14. You know, victory in the Christian life, and specifically victory when we reach out to others 
uh, is something that we want. When we take the time and the effort and the energy to come alongside someone and to encourage them, to point them towards Christ, uh, when, we, when we have that, that moment in our lives, we want victory. And victory is affirmation, right? We want feedback, positive feedback. We want somebody to go, thank you for pointing me to Christ. My, my, my life has changed. The chains are gone. We want that kind of a victory. But the reality is that we don't always experience that, right? When we reach out to others to point them to Christ, many times we don't get a response of, that feels much like victory. As a matter of fact, sometimes it feels like defeat. Uh, that's true for us, and it's also true of the Apostle Paul. When we look at these verses in 12 and 13, we get kind of the setting or the scene where Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinth. See, Paul had had a, a vibrant ministry uh, in the city of Corinth. On his second missionary journey, he had passed through this massive city of Corinth. He had shared the gospel there, and he had planted a church, the church of the Corinthians, right there in the city of Corinth. And Paul had had sustained contact with this church, and it had continued to grow. And it had grown so large that there uh, had become factions in the church. There become divisions, and some of those divisions liked Paul, and some of them didn't. Some of them had right beliefs, and some of them had some kind of weird beliefs. And so through Paul's sustained contact with this church, he writes a letter to them. We know it as the letter of 1 Corinthians, where he encourages them to be unified, and where he encourages them to embrace sound doctrine. And the Corinthian church received that letter, but apparently they didn't follow everything that Paul requested of them in that letter. The letter hadn't done the job that Paul had intended it to do. So Paul writes a second letter. Paul will, will describe the second letter that he writes to the, to the church in Corinth as a harsh letter. This is not the letter of 2 Corinthians. It's a, a lost letter. It's a letter we, we don't have access to today. But it was a letter that was, had some harsh language in it, rebuking the church in Corinth. And he, he sent it on ahead to the church, but he had no idea what the response was to that letter. He was concerned that the church at, at Corinth had wandered away from the truth or was beginning to reject Paul entirely. He was greatly troubled by this, so he sends his friend Titus to go to the church in Corinth and kind of scout out the scene to see what's going on. And the plan was that Titus was to go to Corinth to figure out what was going on there, to get a report from them, and then to come back and meet Paul in the city of Troas. And so that's where Paul heads in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. It says, Now when I got to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me. In other words, Paul gets to Troas. He has opportunity to minister there. But verse 13 says, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. In other words, Paul gets to Troas and he's, even though he's involved in ministry, he's greatly distressed in spirit because he doesn't know what's going on with the people in Corinth. He's got no feedback. He's got no perceived victory in his ministry among the Corinthians. And he was discouraged. He was distressed. He longs to just see Titus to get the update on how things are going. And he doesn't get it. He doesn't know if the Corinthians have killed Titus as he's gone to get the message or if, if Titus has just been delayed. He's distressed in his spirit, wanting to know if his ministry among the Corinthians was in vain or if something positive had happened. Was there going to be victory from that ministry? Paul wants to know, and he doesn't find it in Troas. So he moves on, it says in the end of verse 13, to Macedonia. 
Paul found himself in a situation that didn't feel much like victory. As a matter of fact, it probably felt a little bit like defeat. Have you ever been involved in ministry where it's felt like that? You ever been reaching out to serve others and experience some difficulty? I, I, know, I know that I have. Um, you know, but before I came to, to Wildwood, it's been about eight years now, uh, before we came to, to minister here, I was involved with a church down in Texas. And one of the things that I did was I worked with a group of middle schoolers uh, in a youth group. Um, now, there's some middle schoolers in here, I think. I, I'm not down on middle schoolers, but this particular group of middle schoolers was very difficult for me. Um, they, were, they were a rough crowd. We had very little in common. Um, and, and every Wednesday night and every Sunday morning when we'd get together with them, um, it was just a, it was a labor. It was a fight. It was so tough. One of the kids would literally bring a, a human skull with him when he came. You know, no Bible, just a skull. Just walk in with it, you know. And uh, I'm pretty sure it wasn't real, but it was creepy nonetheless. And he'd come in with that skull. That was, that was one of the kids. Another of the kids I only knew as 3PO. I never got his real name, never got his family name. He just went by his Star Wars name, which was 3PO. And then these, these kids would gather together, and we would come, and I, I would try to teach a lesson of some kind on Sunday morning or on Wednesday night, and it was always a disaster. And I felt defeated every time. I would start feeling the, 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 the feeling of defeat, either Saturday night or Wednesday morning, whatever it was, leading up to the moment. And we would, we would go through it. It was always so, so difficult. And, and the, the crowning moment of defeat was always when a visiting parent would come to pick up their child, and they would watch the chaos that was unfolding in the room. And uh, it, was, it was really tough. And I certainly didn't feel victorious. Have you ever been involved in a ministry like that? Have you ever reached out to someone to show them that you love and care and had them stiff arm you back? Have you ever been involved in a Sunday school classroom here at Wildwood that, that you, you long to, to see these four-year-olds or five-year-olds or seven-year-olds, you know, sing kumbaya at the end of every hour and instead it looks like lord of the flies by the time it all unfolds um you know have you ever been involved in a ministry setting like that it, it certainly doesn't feel like victory does it you know, there were moments in the life of the apostle paul that his ministry did not feel victorious so how does paul get joy in that moment where does paul find encouragement in that moment where does Paul find victory in that moment? Where he does provides great instruction for us. See, what Paul does is he doesn't just focus on his personal feeling of defeat and analyze it. Instead, he takes a step back and he gets a bigger picture as to what's going on. Instead, he gets a little bit of perspective that places his current setting in a larger context of what Jesus Christ is really doing in the world. And in the midst of his, his distressed spirit in the city of Troas and on into Macedonia, he reminds himself and the Corinthian people of where he finds his victory. And where he finds that is in a triumphal procession with Christ. Verse 14 says it this way, But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. See, Paul finds his victory not in himself. He finds his victory in Christ and in Christ's triumphal procession that he is embarking on in the world. Now, when we hear the phrase triumphal procession, it sounds impressive to us, right? That doesn't sound like a, you know, some, you know, backwoods, whatever. It sounds exciting. It sounds formal. It sounds uh, prominent. But, but as, as much as we might imagine it being cool to see a triumphal procession, our minds can't fully grasp how great 
of language a triumphal procession was to the ears of a Roman citizen, which the Corinthians were when they first heard this. You see, a triumphal procession was, was an event within the Roman culture that might only happen one time in the, in the lifespan of a person. See, a triumphal procession happened. Uh, it was a giant parade of celebration that would happen only when a Roman general would go out onto the foreign field and win a decisive victory for the nation of Rome. A victory that would uh, involve at least 5,000 foreign troops being killed. A victory that would involve at least the extension of the borders of Rome with more land. A victory that would involve the the return of of loot and possessions and and treasure to the city of Rome. Uh, An event that would involve uh, the capture of prominent citizens in a foreign nation that would be returned to Rome in chains. If a Roman general were to go out and win a decisive victory like that, then when they would return to the city of Rome, there would be returned in a great parade that was known as a triumphal procession. And in this parade, the general would ride elevated and honored. And around that general would be carried all of the loot that had been taken from the land that had been conquered. And around that loot would be the, those who had been captive, those who had been captured by the Roman army, chained and shackled, being returned to Rome, either to be enslaved or to be put to death in the Colosseum. And then around all of that would be those who would be waving censers in the air, wafting perfume and incense so that those who could not only see the parade, they could not only hear the singing that went with the parade, but they could, they could smell the parade. They could smell victory. A Roman triumph was awesome, and it would happen maybe only one time in the life of a Roman general. And when Paul writes this of the Christian experience, he says that Jesus is continually, continually in a triumphal procession, and that Paul gets to be included in it. I think a little further examination of of what that might have looked like with some other scripture will help us understand a little more of why Paul would use this metaphor. Uh, You see, Jesus Christ was like a conquering general. He was one who had gone onto a foreign territory, who had come to the earth, and who had won a great and decisive victory when he came to the earth, and he died on the cross, and he rose from the dead. Uh, The book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, verses 54 to 57, says it this way. It says, when the perishable had been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of sin is, of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus won a decisive victory. At the cross, He said, it is finished. He had won a decisive victory over sin and over death. And because of that decisive victory, He gets to embark on a triumphal procession throughout the earth. And this triumphal procession that Jesus gets to embark on because of his victory was not something that would happen only one time. It was something that would continue on and on and on because Christ is continuing to win this fight day by day by day from the cross forward. Uh, We see this in the book of Matthew in chapter 16 in verse 18 when Jesus says, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. 
Jesus was saying, there is nothing that can stop the victory that I am achieving for the church. It is my desire to build a body of believers who are following me and who have embraced the forgiveness that I have offered. That's my desire, and nothing can stop that from happening. You see, Paul might see a momentary defeat over here, but, but the reason why there's a triumph is that the triumph is Christ's, not Paul's. Jesus is always accomplishing what he wants to accomplish. He is the one who is always being led in triumph. Regardless of what the experience is of anyone in the world, Christ is the one who is leading in triumph. And Paul knows that he gets led along in the train following this triumphal procession as one who has been captured by Christ. Paul referred to himself several times as someone who was a slave or a servant, someone who had been captured by Christ. Now, the book of Philippians in chapter 1, verse 1, is a, is a good example of that. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, slaves of Christ Jesus. That's how Paul viewed himself. Uh, the book of Philemon echoes this sentiment. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9, we won't turn there, but, but you can look it up later if you'd like, very accurately describes Paul's perspective of himself in this triumphal procession as one who was a captured person captured by Christ, trailing behind in his train. Christ is the one who had won the victory over sin and over death, and Paul was being swept along behind him like someone who had been captured in battle following Christ. But there's a significant difference between those who were captured by Christ and those who were captured by Rome. See, when the Romans would capture people and they would return in their triumphal procession, they would be returned in order to be enslaved or in order to be killed. They were, they were returned as captured people for death. But when Christ captures people, or better, when, when Christ captivates the heart of a person like Paul, they are returned not to death but to life. The book of Romans, chapter 6, verses 22 through 23, um, says it like this. It says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, when we have been captivated by Christ, it's not death we receive, it's life. Though we have been captured or captivated by Him, we are, we are captured for life. We are captured for a noble purpose. We are captured and brought into His train of triumphal procession throughout the earth. How could Paul gain encouragement in the midst of what felt like defeat in ministry? He was able to gain encouragement by taking a step back and realizing that Christ is the one who had won the victory. And because Paul was a captive of Christ, he was getting to experience that victory as well. The question I think we need to ask ourselves as we, as we ponder this is where are you at regarding this triumphal procession? Where are you at regarding this celebratory parade of Christ's victory over sin and over death? Like Paul, have you been captivated by the beauty and the grace of Christ? Have you been captivated by the belief that it is through Him and Him alone that your sins might be forgiven and that you might have a relationship with God? Have you been captivated by Christ so that you are following Him in His train? Or are you like someone on the outside 
looking on at the parade as it passes by. I'm not asking how many church services have you attended. I'm not asking how many Christian activities you've ever done. I'm not asking how many times you read your Bible this last week. I'm asking where are you at in the parade? Have you been captured by Christ, captivated by His grace, placing your faith in Him and Him alone so that you're marching with Him in victory? Or are you just watching everybody else walk by? Still determining where you fit. You know, I I believe that God wants all of us to have purpose in our lives, and I believe that God wants all of us to experience His love and His grace. But in order for that to happen, we must first be captured. We must first be captivated. We must first place our faith in Christ. And when we do that, then we have the beautiful opportunity of being led in triumph in Christ. Where do you stand in the parade? Think about that. We'll have an opportunity to respond to that a little later on. But the first thing that I think we need to see is that. And, and you know, one interesting thing, uh, there's a quote by a man named Murray Harris who wrote a commentary on the book of 2 Corinthians that I thought was fantastic. He says it this way, Christ undertook a battle not rightly his. We share in a triumph not rightly ours. It's because of our sin that Christ fought the fight and died on the cross for our sins. It wasn't his battle, but he fought it anyway on our behalf. And instead, now that he's won that victory, instead of lording it over us, he invites us to share in his triumph. He invites us to find victory in captivity as we are captivated by the grace of God. Where do you stand in relation to the parade? The first thing I want us to see. The second thing I want us to see, though, is this. Find purpose in the procession. Find purpose in the procession. You know, Paul goes on in, from verse 14 to 16, describes more of what happens in the midst of this uh, triumphal procession. Now, I mentioned earlier that as they would march through the streets that everybody, uh, that they would be be carrying censers, wafting incense around the city. Everybody could smell it. It was the smell of victory to the Romans. It was the smell of life to the Romans, a smell that promised them that their way of life would continue because they had won victory. It was a good smell to a Roman citizen. But imagine how awful that perfume must have smelt to those who were captured, who were walking to their grave. Everybody could smell it. There was impact from this parade everywhere. It wasn't a parade that was held in the backwoods. It was a parade that was right out in front of everybody. In the Roman triumphal procession, everybody could smell it, but it didn't smell sweet to everyone. Everybody was impacted, but only some were impacted in a positive way. Others were impacted by hating that smell, because it reminded them of their death. I think it's interesting for us to note and to remember that there is purpose in our lives. There is purpose in our procession. There is purpose in the fact that Christ has allowed us to persist in our lives here and now. You ever stop to wonder, why is it that Christ did not take me home the moment that I trusted Him for the forgiveness of my sins? You ever wondered that? 
world is hard. There's good things about it, but there's hard things about it. You know, if, if it was God's desire to just protect me from all tough things, it would have been better for him to take me home the moment I trusted in Christ. If it was God's only purpose for me to live a sinless life, it would be better for him to take me home the moment I trust in Christ because I'll be rid of this sinful, tempted body. If it was God's goal for those things, then he would have removed us immediately. But he hasn't. He's left us on the planet for an extended period of time. You ever wondered why that is? I think the reason why God has left us here is because he wants us to fish. I think the reason why God has left us here is because he wants to run the parade of the triumphal procession of Christ, spreading a fragrance of the knowledge of Christ throughout the parade route of your life. Now think about all of the places that you're going to go this week. Just stop for a moment. Map your life this week. Close your eyes if you have to. Think about what you're going to do this afternoon, tomorrow, throughout the week. What do you got going at night? Breakfast people that you're going to interact with. Websites you might post something to, like Facebook or Twitter or whatever it might be. Think of all of the places that you're going to visit in the next week. I want you to think for a moment and think that all of those places along that route, that's basically a parade route for the triumphal procession of Christ. The reason why you're still here is because there is a triumphal procession that wants to run right down those places where you'll be. There is a fragrance of the knowledge of Christ that God wants to waft off of your life so that everybody you come into contact with will have an experience of understanding more of who God is. You know, the problem with us many times is that we only think of ministry or service as an event. We think of ministry or service as an event. Uh, you know, this is true for me. I, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor, and so it's easy for me to equate ministry with a job. It's easy for me to equate ministry with something that starts at 8 and ends at 5, and, it, and Sunday it's 9 to 12 or whatever that might be. It's easy for me to think of ministry as an event. And what happens within the context of those events is what ministry is. It's easy to think that way. It might be easy for you to think that way. Ministry is teaching the third graders this lesson. Ministry is going on this mission trip and doing this task. Ministry is taking this food to a person who is in need. Ministry is an event. That's, that's what we think. And many times when we do that event, we don't get the victory feedback that we want. You know, it turns into Lord of Flies in the classroom. You get the crazy look on the face from the person that you're sharing with. You bring the food by and they look at you like, we just ate. Whatever it is, we think of ministry as an event, and when the event doesn't have the intended consequence, we think that, that it didn't work out right. But the reality is that ministry is not an event. Remember, this is a continual triumphal procession. It doesn't go from event to event. It continues to press on in every aspect of your life, wherever you go. The triumphal procession of Christ, if you have been captivated by His grace, has an impact on everyone in your life, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, whether it's an event or whether it's just relating to them. You know, if, if you think about it in the context of this, you know, I'm up here preaching right now. 
You know, this is the only opportunity for others to catch a fragrance of Christ about me. There's conversations after church. There's, we might run into each other at the store. We might have a conversation on the telephone this week or an email exchange. All those things are opportunities for the fragrance of Christ to waft off, regardless of what you're talking about. Whether you're talking about John chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, or the OU football schedule this fall. It's a continual procession in how we relate to the issues and things in our lives, no matter where we are. God is going to be spreading the fragrance of Him everywhere we're at. What an awesome, awesome thought. I take, like Paul, I take great comfort in that when I think about those crazy youth group meetings uh, back in the late 90s uh, down in Texas. I have no idea if anybody ever remembered one single thing I ever said in any of those lessons. You know, I'm actually pretty certain they don't remember any of that stuff. But you know what? Thankfully, God isn't confined to just those lessons. You know, there was the times hanging out in the lunchroom at the school, and there were times just when something would happen in this kid's life, just going over, and the time that I met his parents, and I got to have this conversation with them about the kid, and all that stuff, all the non-event stuff, all the, the normal, blase, everyday things, just finding out what they liked, and why he's carrying the skull, and what he likes about Star Wars, and in all of those conversations, there was the opportunity for the fragrance of Christ to float off. Think about your lives that way. You have a parade route for a triumphal procession of Christ throughout your life this week. Others, no matter where you are, have the opportunity to gain a knowledge of Christ through how they interact with you. That ought to impact the way we think about our lives. If we know we're on a parade, we change the way that we live. A number of years ago, the last parade I was in, I was in the homecoming parade at the University of Oklahoma in 1996. It was 95. And I was was riding in a car, and knowing that I was going to be in this parade, and knowing that there were going to be these people around, I did things a certain way. You know, I, I, I wore some, some of my nicest clothes. Uh, we had to wear a tie, and so I made sure it was a Sooner Red tie. They were playing Kansas that night. I was not going to wear Jayhawk blue. It was Sooner Red. I wore the tie. I, I was careful about what I dressed. I was careful about the conversations I had with the person I was riding with. I was careful about the, the interaction I had with everybody because I knew I was a part of a parade and people could see me. No matter where I went on that route, people could observe my life. You know what? In the Christian life... We're being led in a triumphal procession everywhere we go. Your life is a parade route. Think about that. Think about that and allow the Holy Spirit to guide you into how you might respond in different situations. It matters how you respond, even if it's not an event for ministry, even if it's just life and relating to others. How might God want you to respond? How would that impact your relationship at work, if you, if you own a business, how would that impact your relationship with your customers, knowing that you, there's a fragrance about your life that is being shared? People are gathering information about Christ by how they see you interact. How, how would that impact the way that you related to your employees? If you're, if you're an employee, not an employer, how would that impact the way that you relate to your boss, knowing that he can gain an, a knowledge of Christ just from the fragrance or aroma of your life? How would that impact your relationship with your kids and your extended family? Whether or not you're sitting down and having a spiritual conversation or whether you're having a conversation about your day or your life or your week or whatever, there is a fragrance about your life that people will grasp. Knowing that you're on this parade, how might that impact the decisions and choices that you make? You see, Christ is the one who has won the victory. 
We are those who have been captivated by Him. And because of that, we find purpose in seeing Him use us to share a knowledge of Christ among all that we interact with. Knowing that Christ has done all of that for our lives. Don't forget the fish. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today, and I thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to look at your word today. Father, I thank you for the the depth of, of hope that you provide for us. Father, you want us to to impact others with your truth. You want us to share uh, your hope and grace with others. And yet many times we feel defeated as we do so. And that's because, Father, we have myopic vision. We, We don't see all that you want us to see. Father, I pray that like Paul, we would we would allow our our imagination, our understanding to be stretched so that we could know and we could remember that we have been captured by you. We have been captivated by your grace. And because of that, we are being led in your triumph, spreading a fragrance of an aroma of a knowledge of you everywhere we go. Father, thank you for the opportunity. Father, I just want to pray right now for any who are here today who are watching the parade go by. Father, they have not yet placed their faith in the saving work of Christ on the cross that provides forgiveness for their sins. Father, if there is someone here today who is watching the parade go by, I pray that right now they might join the parade. They might be captured by you. They might be captivated by your grace and that they might find life as a result. Father, there's real death awaiting those who reject you. So we pray that we all might be captivated by who you are. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.